Welcome back to the Spectacular Radio. I'm Zion Joyner. I kind of want to give a brief explanation and a mea culpa here before we get started. Um, we recorded this back in September with Vanessa Marshall, and we, uh, in that time period, I found out I'm having a baby, and I got married, and it's been a whirlwind ride. We've been doing a lot of preparation and planning for it, and uh, so podcasting has kind of fallen by the wayside, but I'm very happy to bring back uh, Greg, of course, and Greg Wiseman, as well as a very special guest, Vanessa Marshall. She is fabulous. Greg and I are so excited to bring this interview to you because we're very proud of it, and we love it absolutely. So uh, I hope you enjoyed as much as we did, and we'll see you next time here on Spectacular Radio. Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall, the voice of Mary Jane from The Spectacular Spider-Man, and you're listening to Spectacular Radio Podcast. Face it, Tiger, you just hit the jackpot. Conspiracy, I tell you. They're all working together to raise my blood pressure. Tell me there's something better. Go ahead. Try. Welcome back to another episode of Spectacular Radio. I am your friendly neighborhood webmaster, Zach Joyner. And uh, as always, I am joined by Mr. Greg Bashansky. Hi. Greg? I'm battling the flu right now, so if I sound a little bit off, that's why. <laughs> And joining us also is, as usual, the supervising producer and story editor of the series, Mr. Greg Weisman. Hello. And I'm pleased to announce that we have a very special guest joining us today. You know her from such Marvel roles as Black Widow and Madame Hydra in Avengers vs. Mightiest Heroes, but she also played one of the most iconic characters in all of comics, the voice of Mary Jane Watson herself, Miss Vanessa Marshall. Hey there. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and this month we'll be talking about the inv- Vanessa and her career, as well as the episode "The Invisible Hand," which features Rhino and first introduces Mary Jane. Great episode! <laughs> Very good episode. So I guess we'll toss the uh, you know before we toss it out to the episode itself. Our other regular Jennifer Anderson can't make it. She's celebrating her birthday the day after and the day before. She's been having a nice birthday week. So, Jen, if you're listening, I'd like to wish you a happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday, Jen. Happy birthday, Jennifer. <laughs> and we miss you, Jen. Hopefully we'll have you on again next month. But um, I guess we should start with Vanessa's superhero origin story. So how did you get into voice acting or acting in general? Uh, well, I was actually doing sketch comedy uh improv stuff like that and um, a voiceover agent came to see the show and I voiced 13 different characters or something like that and uh, she said that I should try my hand at animation I came into her office I read for her that was back in 1997 and I've been at the same agency ever since having a blast (laughs) oh it's been a blast listening to you well thank you (laughs) So how did you uh, how did you get the uh, gig with uh, with Spectacular Spider-Man, Greg? You can kind of talk about this too. Uh, well, I mean, we uh, put together audition sides for like 
I don't know, eight or nine major characters, including Mary Jane. Um, and then uh, I'll let Vanessa take over. Well, um, I got the audition, and um, I, up until that point, I had been playing Erwin uh, in The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. Erwin is a small African-American boy, and um, I, I really didn't think I fit the demo of Mary Jane. And I remember my agent called and said, why didn't you audition for this? And I said, oh, you know, there's sort of the reigning royalty voiceover women. There's no way. That'll never happen. She said, will you just give it a shot? I said, okay, fine. I sent it in. I got a call back. I couldn't believe it. I came in. They said, do you want us to play your audition for reference? I said, sure. I slated my name, and then they stopped the audition. And I said, well, can I hear the read? And they said, no, actually, Mary Jane was in your slate. The rest of the read sucked. <laughs> and basically all I did was, Vanessa Marshall is Mary Jane. And then I proceeded to suck after that. <laughs> but they said, can you just do what you did in your slate for the entire audition? which I managed to do for the callback. And then when I actually got the call that I got Mary Jane, I literally fainted. So um, it, I'm a comic book geek. I love Marvel, and I w was so honored. And, you know, not to mention Greg's awesome, and it was an honor to finally get to work with him. I mean, we had worked on um, uh, Witch, I think it was, initially, but yeah. that was only like a couple episodes so anyway, that's the long-winded story, but um, it was it was a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were very good on the show. Well, thank you. We I, like I had a blast. One, we had one note for Vanessa as we uh, proceeded. I don't know if it was in the callback or just when we actually uh, started recording the show, because of course, you know, we'd done at this point um, five episodes with without her because we'd been setting up. Mary Jane's arrival, but we wanted to sort of mimic the way Mary Jane was introduced in the original Lee um, Ditko and Lee Ramita comics. So, you know, Aunt May talks a lot about Mary Jane for episodes before we actually meet her, and just as it, the way uh, Aunt May and Anna Watson had talked about Mary Jane for issues in the original comic book, actually spanning um, the transition from Ditko to John Ramita Sr., so when we finally got Vanessa in there, the, the thing that we did was we asked for teen sexy as opposed to <laughs> yep. whatever that means. I think, it was, I think Jamie called it teen appropriate sexy. Yeah. Is that it for, for teen sexy? I can't remember. Something <laughs> like that. We started out as teen appropriate, and then we shortened it over time. Sure. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hilarious. That's awesome. That's awesome. Nice. Inappropriate sexy. That 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 is the new meme for the podcast, there, Craig. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, Vanessa, were you were you into Spider Man and specifically Mary Jane before you got the part, or, or you kind of mentioned you were a Marvel fan? But. Uh, yes, I was definitely. I, Spider Man's definitely one of my favorite comics. I I just I think Peter Parker is so complicated, and Mary Jane's influence on him and how she helps him become the man or, and or the superhero that he needs to be to face different challenges. Uh, the way their relationship worked, uh, you know, over the arc of the entire narrative, I found really compelling. Um, second to that, I really like the X-Men, and I love Wolverine specifically. Uh, as I've gotten older, I've gotten into Batman, but that's another discussion. 
Anyway. <laughs> It's okay. We we allow Batman discussion every once in a while. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and and hey, she was Black Canary on Greg's other show, Young Justice, so we can allow some DC discussion. <laughs> okay then. Go. All right. Very good. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> the difference the difference with Black Canary, she didn't have to audition for Black Canary. I just knew I wanted her for that. So. <laughs> so yeah. Her, didn't you say she's Mary Jane? Like a few years later. <laughs> yeah, basically. With a sonic yeah, a little, streaker. <laughs> a little more mature, but that same kind of well, smart, and, sexy person, you know. Yeah. Which is who Vanessa is, frankly. So it's not a it's not a reach. Very kind of you. I got to meet Vanessa once at the 2009 gathering. We were in that radio play with a lot of other people together. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. That was cool. Very much so. So, um, moving on to the episode itself, Greg, you have adapted the rhino into the episode. Now, admit going into this, the rhino was not one of my favorites. I just thought of him as this big, dumb, generic thug. But you managed to make him a lot of fun. I loved, I loved your depiction of the rhino. I loved Clancy Brown's voice work, both as Rhino and as George Stacy, who gets introduced in this episode. Yeah, you know. Um we had introduced Alex O'Hearn in episode one as one of the two sort of just petty criminals that Spider-Man was sort of constantly foiling. Um, and we had reiterated the character a couple times in the, once in the, uh, um, the, uh, episode where Man- Montana becomes shocker, uh, and then in the previous episode where uh, um, uh, we introduced Sandman, we also saw um, Alex briefly. But, you know, Alex was a fun character to write, actually, because he, there was a guy who wasn't necessarily all that bright, but boy, was he determined. <laughs> mm-hmm. And what he was determined to do was to just smash Spider-Man, you know, he, you know, he built up so much anger against this guy that nothing else mattered to him. And so, you know, someone with that kind of monomania can be a lot of fun to write. Clancy, of course, always brought a ton to the part um, <laughs> and uh, was great. And then, you know, we were also introducing um, George Stacy. I'm sure I, I want to say that it was uh, Jamie Thomas, our voice director's idea to uh, cast him. Uh, cast Clancy as George as well. And, you know, in a lot of ways, it's really about performance because if you listen to the two voices, they're not that different vocally, you know. It's not like he's putting on a higher voice or, you know, Rhino's a little bit deeper, I think, Um, but, you know, it's really about performance and Clancy just did an amazing job at, you know, there, there are scenes where there's at least one scene where George Stacy and Rhino are talking to each other. And yet you, there's never a moment where you're like, oh, that's the same guy, you know. I mean, I know it, and I'm sure a lot of fans know it, but the fact of the matter is is that it's not distracting in the course of the show. Not um, at all. There's clarity between them. Um, you know, we had a lot of fun stuff. The episode um, wound up being a little um, long, so there was a sequence that we had to cut where um, it showed... Uh, Rhino uh, with 
tearing out a page from the phone book, which listed all the Peter Parkers in the hmm. in the greater New York area. And so he, at one point, we had this little scene, brief sequence, where Rhino smashes in the door to a place and attacks this blind bassoon player, African-American, elderly, blind bassoon player, and says, and grabs him and says, are you Peter Parker, the photographer? And the thing you got to keep in mind is, he's not looking, I mean, Spider-Man's his goal, but he, it's not like he's some genius who's cracked Peter's secret identity. He's not looking for Peter because he thinks Peter's Spider-Man. He's looking for Peter because he thinks Peter, taking all these photos of Spider-Man, that Peter will know either where Spider-Man is or how to reach him or something like that. So, I mean, I like um, that Rhino, who, despite not being so bright, was the first one actually <laughs> doing that. Right. So he, uh, you know, so but his first thing is he's grabbing up this guy and, and he goes, are you, you know, Peter Parker, the photographer? And the guy goes, no, I'm Peter Parker, the bassoon player. And he, like, points at his bassoon. <laughs> next to his cane, you know, and Rhino sort of looks at this blind guy and goes, uh, okay, so... And we later used the mo- we actually created the model for that character, um, and used him in later episodes uh, when we needed, you know, uh, a band to play either at uh, at L. Thompson Lincoln's benefit or on Valentine's Day we had that jazz ensemble in that episode. So we used that guy, but we never got to actually meet him. Um, because we ended up having to trim that scene out of uh, the Rhino episode. Um, and so you never learn that his name is Peter Parker. Um, because it seems to me that Peter Parker would be a relatively common name. <laughs> and so, you know, Rhino then goes to the Daily Bugle and attacks there. He can't find Peter, and, and he's furious. And that one thing that he's really mad about is he actually had to go all the way to New Jersey looking for Peter Parkers and stuff like that. Well, that's a good reason to be upset. that. I hate Jersey. (laughs) There's a bunch of fun stuff that unfortunately got, I I mean, I think there's still a lot of fun stuff in the episode, but uh, I was, you know, I was bummed we lost that little sequence. Now, I should say, if people are thinking, well, they should put that, those extras on the DVD or something like that, the scene got cut before it was ever animated. We were so long that it got cut, um, you know, we recorded the voices, um, and we designed the model, but it got cut before then because it was so clear that the script was too long. When you think about it, there's a ton in this episode. I mean, we introduced Rhino, we introduced uh, George Stacy. We also fundamentally, I mean, although you got to cut glimpses of him before this, we introduced Tombstone here as well, and we have a little battle sequence with Tombstone. Um, and a great confrontation between uh, um, Spidey and, and Tombstone. Um, on top of all that stuff with Rhino, and there's quite a bit of great action there, some really good moments for Aunt May, for Betty Brant, for Jonah, certainly. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just uh, all this high school stuff. There's a good flash beat in there. We set up the whole cheerleader, you know, dress up as a cheerleader for Halloween bet and uh, all sorts of stuff. And then just in case all of that wasn't enough, we go out on the classic 
introduction of Mary Jane Watson. Oh, I remember when we, just when we first got to that scene, right before she said it, I was thinking in my head, say it, say it, say it. And she, <laughs> <laughs> and That's she, awesome. And she did, and um, I really loved Mary Jane on the show also because, well, for one thing, in previous adaptations, the movies and 90s cartoon, I never felt like we were watching Mary Jane. They always kind of combined her with other characters like Gwen Stacy or Liz Allen, and she was a composite character in both of those previous shows. And um, here it was nice to see her not be hit come... Peter's love interest right out of the gate, even though, I mean, I'm definitely one of those people who says these two belong together. They got married, and I wish they were still married in the comics, but it's nice to actually see, even though we never quite got there, that long road for them to both grow up to be to be each other's love interests. Assuming that was their plan, I have no idea, but... <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I, I agree. That was, that was our feeling, you know, was that... Um, you know, Mary Jane and Gwen Stacy, both wonderful um, individuals, but very different from each other. And, you know, in the comics, Gwen was always the, you know, the, the book smart, you know, cool blonde um, who, uh, you know, daddy's girl who um, was Peter's first love. Um, and... Mary Jane was sort of always the fiery redhead, bit of a party girl, you know, um, who, you know, was his great love. And and those things have to evolve. And, and for Mary Jane and Peter to be right for each other, they have to go through some stuff together because they don't meet and they're not instantly right for each other. Um, so, you know, we wanted to get back to that version of Mary Jane. Um, yeah. You know, it, and that begins with us introducing her, as I said, sort of with what, you know, we used to call a Steve Canyon introduction because, um, that's how Milton Caniff introduced Steve Canyon, where all these characters are talking about the character before you, the audience actually gets to, uh, to meet him or her. And that's what we did with Mary Jane because that's what Stan and Steve and John did back in the day. And then, you know, we have that classic line, which may be one of the two most famous lines in all of comics um the face of tiger you just hit the jackpot line and you know amazingly there was an executive who actually wanted us to change that line um they they said um or this executive said that it made mary jane sound really arrogant um, and, and, uh, and, and, met? And, <laughs> and I just, and we were all sort of stunned, sort of going, but don't you know, this is right from the comics. This is the, and, you know, we can't. And so the person said, well, okay, I see that. Well, what if we did something that's like it, but sort of different instead of giving the line to Mary Jane, what if you made it one of Peter's thoughts? So it's, it's basically Peter saying, face it, Spider, you just hit the jackpot in reference to Mary Jane. And we were again like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're not going uh, through no. a classic yeah. moment. Yeah, I know Cops um, fans well enough to say you would have been tarred and feathered if that happened. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They'd be like, you, you screwed up that law. You know, I, I could just hear the Internet like cracking in half. It's just one of those things. Yeah, not going to work. 
So, Vanessa, how nervous were you saying that line, uh, knowing how iconic it was? Uh, I, uh, honestly, I was so honored. I, 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 I don't know. I, I was kind of out of my body. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, in the end, and you know, it was the, her only line in the whole episode. Yeah, that's true. After I'm that, not, she has a, a lot of lines, but basically, she came in for that on that day just to read that one line. Yeah. <laughs> and she had, you know, the whole rest of the No, if I remember correctly, I think it, my cell phone also went off at, during someone's line, which was a really great way to kick it off with a cast. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I, I had even I had silenced the phone. I have no clue how that happened. And uh, I think someone turned and uh, said to Jamie, so uh, you'll be faxing me the sides for Mary Jane? <laughs> like, in other words, I will be fired for ruining someone's <laughs> read. Oh, dear. Yeah, it was really, it was a good record. <laughs> we had fun. <laughs> that's, that's good. As long as you have fun, right? I mean, it's all about having fun. Yeah. Yeah, it is. We, but, uh, Greg, I was going to – we've mentioned before that one of the first issues you remember reading was ASM 51, which was – yeah, he, she was – 41, I'm sorry, 41. She was introduced in at the end of 41, and then she really kind of started coming out, and, uh, and the main crux of the story was was actually number 42. Um how did it feel to adapting though that two part that iconic two part story? Was it like your inner child really just you know getting excited about adapting the story? Um, I'm gonna cop to the fact that the numbers mean nothing to me. So you're gonna have oh, to okay. give me more information than forty one oh, uh, and yeah, forty two. Uh, okay, uh, forty one uh, and forty two is the introduction of Mary Jane with the Rhino. Like like it's actually this episode's almost a verbatim. Um, um, translation to animation of the of that story that introduced Mary Jane and the Rhino in there and and all of that. So was that just happened circumstance or was that just you were doing that adapting going off of the, the original stories? Um, you know, I, I it, it's been a few years now, so I'm not sure I remember. I mean, I, I know that I wouldn't have been I wouldn't have hesitated. Knew we wanted to introduce uh, Mary Jane at the end of this arc. And it, for whatever reason that had worked out that for another villain to be the villain of that episode, I, I don't think I would have hesitated, in other words, to take those pieces apart. Um, I have a vague notion that the Colonel Jupiter story was the one where Mary Jane got introduced, though. Um, yeah, not I, the I, Rhino I story. It, I think it was. Rhino was in the next story when oh, and, and right. said, no, let's go see the Rhino. Let's go see the Rhino. <laughs> that's right. It was the Colonel Jupiter story, and then it was the Rhino the next issue. Uh, I think Rhino had been introduced a few issues earlier, and and had been, and they were keeping him during the Colonel Jupiter episode uh, sedated with gas. Um, and then Mary Jane's introduced, and then um, following that, uh, Rhino escapes, and there's a, a battle with Rhino. But I think Rhino had been introduced some issues earlier, um, unless Maybe. I'm misremembering, and and Rhino was Rhino was introduced initially as a Spider-Man villain. He didn't start in some other right. series, did he? No, he was, he was always a Spider-Man villain. Well, it would have to have been I'm pretty sure Rhino was introduced a few issues It would have to have been one at the, four, at the earliest, because 40 was that big Green Goblin Spider-Man story. Right, right. It was... 
Uh, some somebody on the internet's like yelling at us right now, yes. like we're getting wrong. So so <laughs> we'll just move on. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Tombstone. I mean, basically, oh, whenever we could, just to get to the core of your question, now that we're past sort right. of the wonky details of it, but um, mm-hmm. you know, we always were eager to adapt stuff right out of the comics, whether it was Colonel Jupiter, um, whether it was like this thing with Mary Jane um, and getting that moment as close to a contemporary version of the original moment as you could possibly get. Um, The whole thing of Aunt May saying for episodes that she had a wonderful personality was again our version of what had been done before Peter sort of avoiding meeting her because he assumed that that was code for She's very unattractive. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I've got to cut and, with, I've got to cut in here with something. I mean, considering this aired in 2008, I think you've done that story the last time it's possible to do because now in the age of social media, you could just look her up on Facebook to see what she looks like. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that may be true. Um, but uh, you know, we we just you know, and and particularly, uh, I think the whole master planner. Um, sequence was something that we also we'll get to that I know in a later podcast but um, was something that we also you know tried to get as close to the comics as possible and that was always a goal for us whenever we could whenever it was possible we weren't shy about doing our own thing frankly but you know we loved these old comics we loved uh, in particular I mean you know we borrowed from all eras of Spider-Man obviously because we used Venom and we used you know, uh, Kingsley, and we used all sorts of people across the length of, you know, the two seasons. But, you know, um, we were pretty passionate about those Lee Ditko and Lee Ramita issues. And um, so anytime we could go right to those issues and sort of grab an iconic image or a character or something like that, you know, that was actually a goal. It wasn't just like a byproduct. That was, that was you know, one of our... I think it was actually cool, this particular cast. Most of the people in the show were hardcore comic book fans and really interested in, you know, lifting up the story in a way that, you know, you had mentioned that in the films you may not have uh, seen it executed the way, you, you know, that everyone has their opinions about the movies, but um, we all cared very deeply about the comics, and I think you could feel that straight down the line. Um, yeah, I know I, mean, I did watching Vanessa, it. I mean, Vanessa is without a doubt a huge geek. <laughs> I'm a bionic <laughs> dork. Me, which is saying something. Uh, and, yeah, I've, I've seen uh, but, you know, she wasn't the only one. Like, Peter McNichol was a huge Dr. Octopus fan. Nice. And we didn't know that when he ca- we cast him as Dr. Octopus. Um, but he came in and he said, this is my favorite character. And He's got a great little moment in this episode where, in essence, first he's trying to talk uh, O'Hearn out of being uh, Rhino, basically. But then once the experiment gets going and uh, Hammerhead's sort of looking at, you know, we haven't seen Rhino yet. The audience hasn't seen Rhino yet. And Hammerhead's looking at it from off screen and we know he's getting this armor. Um, but Hammerhead's obviously reacting to the rhino horns on the top of his head, and you see the enthusiasm that Octopus has about 
him having added the horns to the armor, you know, the, 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 in the mold, so to speak. And, uh, and just, you get a, both a hint of uh, Dr. Octopus to come because we're still in sort of our, um, wimpy Dr. Octavius mode here. But you also get a little bit of enthusiasm that, that makes you understand why this guy, um, as brilliant as he is, is coming up with things like octopus arms and rhino horns and stuff like that. And that was an effort on our part, again, to create some cohesion, some coherence um, for our whole series, you know, that um, it's just not random that we've got all these animal-type villains come out, but that there's actually a a schema behind it. Um, But again, just Peter's performance, like everybody's performance in that series, uh, is just wonderful. I mean, it just... I got a huge kick out of it because I rewatched it yesterday and, and I uh, got a huge kick out of what Peter did just in, a, he only has like three or four lines in the whole episode, but just it's some really fun stuff. And I always have to sort of shout out to Darren Norris because oh man, Jonah, right? His Jonah is just so amazing. Oh, he's and so he good. A, yes. He gets yeah. such a sense of the guy here because, you know, he comes out blustery, uh, then, you know, Rhino grabs him up and, and suddenly he realizes, oh, I should be afraid here. Um, mm-hmm. But then he winds up being incredibly brave because, you know, he could just, uh, you know, he doesn't know that Peter Parker's Spider-Man, obviously. So, you know, he actually has this moment when he could just say, Parker's over there, go get him, you know. And there have been various versions of, of J. Jonah over the years, and some of them would have said that. But in our view, J. Jonah is basically a decent guy, you know. Um, yeah. I love how the little never, movement. He would never throw like, a 16-year-old kid to the, you know, he would never throw a 16-year-old kid to the wolves, and he would protect him. And so we'd have these great moments. You have Aunt May being very impressed with Jonah. Um, you have great moments. Deborah Strang as Aunt May and Gray Delisle as uh, Betty oh. have, have two or three great little mini scenes together. Um, and, uh, and, you know, there, it's just, the whole episode is full of these amazing performances and, and Matt Wayne wrote the script and he did a fantastic job. Um, there's these great, you know, moments where Peter thinks he's got Betty as his date, even though she's never said yes. But, um, and then, you know, where Betty has to try and let him down easy after Aunt May sort of pointed out that, you know, he's 16, you're 20. This is not right. <laughs> um, it's not an appropriate relationship. Um, and then that moment when after Betty dumps him in essence and he's down and Aunt May is like racing off because she's going to go make all the arrangements for Mary Jane to be his date. Um, mm-hmm. And again, just Deborah doing some amazing stuff with Aunt May. Um, I just saw a week or so ago, or two weeks ago, Deborah playing uh, Prospero in Oh, no way. And she oh, I bet that was amazing. Deborah's just got this tremendous range, but her Aunt May was just so perfect. Um, she was, yeah. Wow. She was so contemporary, and I, and I we really I really enjoyed Aunt May in, in this episode. Like you mentioned, because she was she was so kind of conniving a little bit, trying to trying to you know make the stars align to get Mary Jane at the door. Aunt May, you're is, an evil mastermind. 
<laughs> I love that line. But um, you mentioned him already, but Tombstone. Finally getting his full introduction this episode. Now, I remember you, you talked about how you couldn't use Kingpin right. and that you were going to use tomb, Tombstone. So now you finally have laid the cards out. You have the big man who was a Ditko, um, Ditko character that really nobody but the hardcore remembers. <laughs> but uh, but b- bringing those two characters together and making Tombstone your, your big gangster baddie, go into a little bit of, uh, of, of your process of, of why, why Tombstone. Well, as you mentioned, we started with Kingpin. Um, we were going to use the big man as in pretty much the exact same way, but with Kingpin. You know, in other words, start talking about the big man before we introduced him, start hinting at Kingpin before we actually saw him on screen. Um, all the stuff that we did with Tombstone was, frankly, all planned for Kingpin. Uh, then we were told we couldn't have Kingpin because he's part of the Daredevil license, or at least was. Um, this was frustrating to us on some level because, you know, Kingpin was introduced as a Spider-Man villain. He became a Daredevil villain later in some great stuff by um, Frank Miller, of course. But um, yeah. but that was later, and we felt, look, this guy was a, introduced as a Spider-Man villain. We should be able to use him. And so we had this sort of mourning period. I don't know what else to call it. It's like, oh, man, we can't use Kingpin. But, you know, there were a number of other, you know, Spider-Man has, next to maybe only the Batman, maybe, the best, largest, most flexible, and most iconic rogues gallery of anybody. Um, Certainly better than Superman, Iron Man, Thor, you know, a lot of these characters have one, maybe two great villains, but very few characters other than Batman and Spider-Man have the quantity of fantastic villains that those two characters have. Um, so we just, you know, went into the canon and, and came up with Tombstone, who, of course, was really more of an enforcer type than, it, you know, more the role that we had Hammerhead play in this show, generally, than he was a top, you know man himself, but there's something about the image of that guy that we thought, all right, we can use this. This will work. Um, and I'm so glad we did. Now, we never gave up asking for Kingpin down the road, and we would have happily you know, introduced Kingpin in Season 3 if they had given us permission to. Um, and, if, of course, if we had had a Season 3. <laughs> um, but, uh, right. but you know, I'm so glad it worked out the way it did, frankly, uh, in terms of not being able to use Kingpin right away, because that would not have had the same sort of surprise factor. And I think people, I think we created a, uh, or, or adapted a tombstone that, that's very memorable. And it is, yeah. um, you know, was really a sort of unique take on the character and a unique turn if we had done the same stuff with Kingpin, everyone would have been like, well, yeah, of course. But with Tombstone, it was a little more of a twist and a little more surprising and a little more interesting, I think, than it would have been with Kingpin. Yeah, I thought... You know, the main thing we wanted in this particular episode was to introduce this guy in an effective way, and what that meant is we just wanted him to own Mm. Spider-Man. Spidey comes in having defeated Rhino and feeling like 
I could take down that guy, I can take down anybody. And Tombstone just owns him. Um, now, they weren't going head-to-head, really. Spidey was sort of caught off guard, and and then the battle gets interrupted by, A, a conversation, and B, the arrival of the police. But, um, so, you know, it, it's ambiguous as to how they do in a full-out fight. And that was intentional. But for the point we were making is, you think you know who this guy is, you don't know who this guy is. And you think you know what Spider-Man can handle. Spider-Man's never had to face a guy like this before, ever. Um, the closest was probably Montana. Um, but this is a whole different breed. And um, so this whole idea of a guy who is wealthy and but who goes by the name Tombstone because that's all that's left when you're done fighting him mm. is mm-hmm. you know, just the sort of great idea um, that we would not have sought if Kingpin hadn't been declared off limits. So on that level, I was glad it worked out the way it did because I love what we did with Kingpin. And of course, Kevin Michael Richardson, well, oh. Keith David actually played the big man in episode one uh, and then was unavailable to us after that. Um, but Kevin, of course, came in and, uh, A, he's doing, he's sort of channeling Keith a bit, um, but also makes it his own and, and just does an amazing job, as as Kevin always does, um, in bringing Tombstone to life there. Um, and we just also love the whole notion that um, Tombstone wasn't against the idea of Spider-Man doing heroic stuff. You know, someone's falling off a bridge, Spider-Man wants to save him. Again, Tombstone's not villainous in a sort of, no, let them die kind of sense. You know, he just wants, yes. uh, he wants uh, what he wants. And, and he would even subsidize, make Peter's life easy, subsidize Spider-Man with an actual income to let him go play hero. 90% of the time, maybe even 95% of the time. But 5% of the time, Spidey would have to look, look the other way. And of course, what Tombstone can't know is that that offer is never going to be accepted because the one thing Spider-Man can never do again, because he did it once with tremendously tragic results for him personally, is look the other way. Um, and... So you have this sort of classic confrontation between two characters who cannot coexist. Um, and and that, to me, is what really makes the episode. We've got all sorts of fun stuff with Rhino throughout the episode. But what this whole little um, mini arc was, which included our Shocker episode, our Sandman episode, and now our Rhino episode, was all building to this confrontation with Tombstone where Peter realizes that his mere existence is what's causing these supervillains to be created. As long as he keeps fighting crime, Tombstone's going to keep producing more, bigger, badder, scarier, more dangerous supervillains. So you've got this catch-22. 
And even then, and, without uh, yeah, and even then, without Tombstone, at this point, things escalate all across the series. We've introduced Mary Jane, we've introduced Tombstone. The Green Goblins come in in a few short hours. Uh, in show t- in the show's timeline, Doctor Octopus has come in. I mean, this is where things really change. I mean, I feel like at this point, and the show is awesome beforehand, but to use a TV tropes term, this episode of the show grows the beard. Uh, yeah, I don't know. If you say so, to me, it's all a steady build. I mean, but we did set things up here. I mean, you know, you have that moment between Hammerhead um, and Norman Osborn, uh, with Barry coming in as well, frankly, large red herring, um, a too long red herring, but a red herring. Um, and But you have that moment between Hammerhead and Norman Osborn, where Norman's like, look, this has been great. I've been having a good time. I've been making a ton of money. I'm happy. But all these public things are attracting too much attention. Let's back off. Um, and Hammerhead says, uh, no, we're not doing this because you say so. We do this when the big man says so. And what that does for Norman, and then he says, look, who are you kidding? You can't tie me to this. And it's like, well, I can if I use Dr. Octavian. So that does two things for Norman. One, it sort of is the decisive moment where he says, well, time to drag out, you know, time for the Green Goblin to debut. And two, and I'd better get rid of Octavian. He says he could beat me to this stuff. Hmm. Uh, and so basically that one little conversation um, sets up the whole next arc of Green Goblin and, and Octavia and uh, Dr. Octopus. Um, and then, of course, like I said, we throw Harry into the mix there. How much did he hear of what his father and Hammerhead said, you know, so that it becomes a, uh alternative explanation for what went on Um because in season one and most of season two, we want the audience to think that Harry Osborne is. That's awesome. It is, yeah. And um, this next one is for Vanessa. You've voiced a lot of other Marvel characters. How was it to voice these iconic characters? I mean, I loved hearing you voice uh, Black Widow and Madame Hydra and Avengers. I mean, they were both speaking in Eastern European accents, and at no point did I think that it was the same voice actor. I mean... <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, well, all of them are sublime. I mean, um, I, I I really, like, one honor after another. Um, yeah, I can only hope to have done them justice. And being such a huge fan, it's hard not to flail at the microphone. <laughs> but uh, But I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> Yeah. No, uh, outside of outside of the the superhero work that Greg has done, um, Earth's Mightiest Heroes is one of my favorite shows, and and uh, I loved everybody on that show. And yeah, uh, Hawkeye was awesome. So, Hulk was. I mean, everyone was great. Yeah. Yeah. It was. I mean, I mean, what they did on that show for Avengers was just even before the Avengers movie came out, I was like, this is this is the best representation of the Avengers. Yeah. Kind of like, this is the be- best representation of Spider-Man. Yeah. They, they, I think it was another crew of comic book nerds on the scene there. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, hardcore fans. I mean, I know the people that I worked with. I wasn't there with all the actors all the time, but the ones that I did record with, 
uh, they were all really grateful to be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah, and you got to reunite with Spider-Man briefly, Josh Keaton. Before I they, know. Before they the later consummate Spider-Man. Were, he's amazing. <laughs> before they later dubbed over him, but um. Uh, yeah, but uh, it was. Wah, wah. But it was beyond wah wah. Yeah, but it was, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but it was great. You got to reunite with with Spidey, and this time you got to be the antagonist for the episode. I mean, and you. Yeah. And she was a yeah. very vicious antagonist on the episode. There's that line you deliver at one point where she just says, start with the civilians. I mean, she's just targeting innocent people for the hell of it. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was an interesting audition because initially they wanted me to speak with a Russian accent uh, most of the time and then sort of an American accent when uh, I was undercover. And, okay, great, no problem, but... Eventually, it started to be sort of all an American accent, and I saw a couple people on Twitter saying, like, oh, they must have ixnayed the Russian accent because, you know, that was too confusing or something. It's like, no, it was actually a choice, you know, uh, for her to, to sort of use it at will to fool people and what have you, but they did end up going with a mostly American accent. I think that was influenced by the films, ultimately. Um well, it also makes sense. But, she's she's a super spy. She's not going to be speaking in her normal accent. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it was uh, it was uh, people had their theories as to why she was so schizophrenic or multilingual or <laughs> moody. <laughs> yeah, you did. You did a great Black Widow. You were a great Madame Hydra. I'm looking forward to hearing you as Hera and Rebels coming up. And uh, oh, this is something I've also got to ask. Was you mentioned it on? Twitter when it happened, you got to announce the President of the United States recently at an event. Yes, it was uh, the Shoah Foundation's um, event. Uh, they have an annual event, and uh, they honored him this year. And uh, it's funny, because I had done it two years ago, and they, I got an email from the producer, and uh, she said, hey, you probably don't remember us. I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of do. She said, I'm not sure what you're doing on such and such date, but... um." Could you announce President Barack Obama? I was like, well, let's see. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'll put my socks down that I'm darning that evening. And um, sure, more, yes, absolutely. And they offered to pay me, and I said, no, it'll be my contribution to the show of foundation and an honor. Once again, look at all these honors. Jeez. Yeah, that was that was really strange. But you know what was even weirder, dude, is that Qui Gon was there and Mace Windu was rolling with Obama. <laughs> I mean, just unlike Star Wars nerddom, it was like a Jedi Council right there for me. Because uh, nice. I got to announce <laughs> Liam Neeson, and uh, I didn't announce Samuel Jackson, but he did walk in like a total baller and sit at Obama's table. I'm just saying, okay? I'm just saying. He is Nick Fury, yeah. you know. Sometimes he he doesn't need diet pads. Oh my god, it was so awesome. The whole night was like mind explosion. Yeah, it was great. That's awesome. That's <laughs> very awesome. It's yeah. a very strange life I lead. I gotta be honest. It's really weird. Yeah. Well. Anyway. Well, uh, nor- as uh, Greg once wrote in one of the Gargoyles comics, normalcy is so overrated. There you go. <laughs> oh, gargoyles. Oh, it always comes back to Gargoyle. Yeah, he stole my heart. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope you get to make another sh- Gargoyle show at some point. I hope you get to be in it. 
Oh, gosh, please make another one, please. <laughs> That's Disney's got a knack. <laughs> Greg's like, just, he's speechless. <laughs> you still there, Greg? Still I'm still here. I just, oh, okay. <laughs> he fell asleep. <laughs> not like, no, I didn't fall asleep. It's just sort of like, it's not like I don't want to make a cargo. I don't even know what to say to that anymore. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Other than it's not up to me. You know? <laughs> I, yeah. I know it's not like I said, we've got to nag Disney, and I've been nagging Disney for 18 years now. <laughs> yeah, Greg, Greg's been the guy that's been standing outside with the, with the, the, the sandwich board, you know, bring back gargoyles. Yes. Uh, there's, so. there's been a bunch of us. I was hardly the only one, but I, but yeah, I mean, it was a wonderful show. All of our shows were wonderful, and I'm not just saying that because he's here. I legitimately think that. So. Nice. <laughs> yeah, Frank. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Are there any uh, final thoughts on this episode and final thoughts on playing Mary Chain? Oh, those were the good old days. <laughs> As far as I'm concerned, you are. Yeah. Hello. Greg? I'm here. There you are. Vanessa, as far as I'm concerned, you are a Mary Jane. Even for all the years. When I, when I was reading the comics, that voice, I kind of, was the voice I sort of had in my head without quite knowing what that voice was. In fact, I mean, Mary Jane was sort of when I began paying attention to voice acting. Around 1994, he had gargoyles on, the voice acting there was tremendous, and the Spider-Man mm. show at the same time, and uh, not to knock her, because I'm sure Saratoga Valentine did the best she could with what she had, but I, when I first heard her, I said, you know, she doesn't quite sound like Mary Jane to me, and that was when I first began, really, around that time, paying attention to voice casting. So when we finally, so when you finally spoke and you said the iconic line, I was thinking, yes, that's MJ. <laughs> Aw, well, thank you. It's kind of how I heard it in my head, so... <laughs> hey. Yeah. It's, it's such awesome. a great line. It's definitely, how I, it's definitely how I heard it in mine. I mean, um, you know, I, I have the benefit of working with Jamie Thomason, uh, who <laughs> is both an amazingly talented director, but also a uh, voice director, but also, and, and we take this for granted sometimes, but amazingly talented casting director. Yes. You know, identifying talent and, and that kind of... Thing. Um, you know, I have uh, had the benefit of his experience on um, three of the shows I've done, and, and uh, uh, he always, you know, finds these people and identifies, and and uh, but you know, I mean, Vanessa, to me, is definitely the voice of Mary Jane Watson. I mean, she is, yeah. Kind of Oh, thank yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's for Vic Black Widow and Madam Hydra also. And uh, I mean, I, yeah. I, I think the first time I've ever heard your voice, I didn't know it was you at the time yet, but the second Metal Gear Solid game, you were Olga. Girl. Oh, Olga and Doctor Strangelove. And Doctor Strangelove. That's another funny story. We did the whole thing with an American accent, and like the last day they said, no, I, we think he should be British. What? <laughs> so we went back and re-recorded everything with a British accent. Good times. Good times. It's like an almanac and a Torah for like 12 hours. Very good. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, I can, 
See, we're learning so many like behind the scenes little. little I know. I should awesome. just stop talking. Anyway. No, no, we we love it. We love it. We want those things. Yeah, so. and uh, yeah, that was that was an interesting role. Mm-hmm. Well, Moving awesome. on. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm sure we could all talk for hours because, I mean, it's an honor to talk with you. I mean, we met at the 2009 gathering. But we didn't. It was a busy time. I was on staff, also didn't really get much time to speak. And then I remember being a bit heartbroken when I found out that you were at New York Comic Con last year, and I and I yes. had no idea. And are you? I going know. <laughs> I'm going to be there this year for sure. So. Oh, oh yeah, I've got a couple things. Yeah, I, I will be nerding out. I'll be <laughs> on the floor, uh, no doubt. Yeah, yeah I got to complete my black series. Uh, action figures. Yeah, yeah, I collect them also. I've got a Black Widow and a Madame Hydra here on my shelf. They're, oh, they're, no. Well, awesome. There isn't, well, there isn't a good MJ figure, so... <laughs> oh, I like the Sideshow one. Oh, nice. nice. Yeah, the Sideshow Collectibles is pretty, is pretty slick. Yeah. Nice. And, and Greg's like, what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll have to connect and make sure that we see each other at the New York Comic Con well, thing. Definitely. Yeah. Excellent, yeah. Details to follow. <laughs> Details, yeah. All right, um, I, so, I suppose we can wrap things up. Do either of you have anything you want to uh, promote or pimp or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> I, I would. I want to promote and pimp Greg's novels because <laughs> they're awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Greg wants Still to Greg's promote and pimp those too, so we, we're yeah. Reign of the Ghosts. I, we, I would. You've got to. Just, you must get them all. Get both. Get and get the next one and the next one. And the more we buy of the first and second, the more the the ones that follow will be made. So let's live. <laughs> I'm almost done reading the second book. I've had a pretty busy summer, but I'm almost done. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I'm having a good time reading it. I, a manatee just stole a camera. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> if Zach has no idea what I'm talking about, but okay, no. <laughs> Greg, sure. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Not yet. I I will know soon. Yeah. I, yeah, I work. I work all the time. Yeah. Spirits Excellent. of Ash and Foam. Get it on Amazon. Stat. Yes. That's my pimp action. All right, and uh, Greg, you want to pimp your books again? <laughs> uh, well, that's a that's very kind to do that for me. But yes, Reign of the Ghosts. And Spirits of Ash and Foam are both available on Amazon, or you can get them at any bookstore if they're not literally on the shelf when you walk in the door. Uh, you can go to the front desk, and they can order them for you. Um, I very much want to do the third book, and um, that depends on sales of these first two. So um, we've been getting great reviews on Amazon um, and elsewhere. Um, so, uh, you know, if you're unsure, check it out. Um, but... I'm very proud of both these novels, and if you like my stuff on Spider-Man, on Young Justice, on Gargoyles, I'm confident you'd like Rain as well. So mm-hmm. pick those up. And since we're here, I'm gonna pimp uh, Star Wars Rebels for for young Miss <laughs> Marshall over there. Uh, she plays Harrison Dula, um, and she is amazing in the role. Just incredible, and that's premiering in October. We've already had. Four of the shorts air across last month, um, including the first one, which was uh, featured Hera and Kanan and Chopper, um, and uh, and of course uh, Hera is sort of an instant fan favorite. And Vanessa does amazing work as Hera, so you guys should check out Star Wars Rebels when it premieres uh, next month. I will. I think it's October third, and 
the thirteenth in some places like Australia or something like that, but on Disney XD. Good times. Oh, fantastic! Excellent. Looking forward to it. Yes. Awesome. Well, you guys, thanks so much for asking me to be on the podcast. This is great. Oh, oh thank no, you we, for coming. Yeah, absolutely. We we had a great time, Greg. Oh, as always, it's always a pleasure definitely, to talk to you, sir. Definitely. Always fun to be here, guys. And, great. Uh, and so, ever so, thank you all for listening. And next month, we'll be back with the Green Goblin. Ooh. <laughs> yep. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah.